Hello and welcome to the SQV Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lawrence. Uh, upon release, this will be episode 19 of the show. And my guest is Mr. Kennedy Hall. Kennedy is a Catholic author and speaker who has appeared as a guest on, among others, the Taylor Marshall Podcast and the Mike Church Show on the Crusade Channel. Kennedy writes at the FatimaCenter.org, and he's the host of the eponymous Kennedy Report on YouTube. Mr. Hall has written two books, Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity, and Family Be Damned, a fictional account of diabolically coordinated attacks on a modern family. Kennedy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. So just to start off, can you give us a little bit of your faith background? I understand that you're a convert. Is that correct? I'm a revert. I was um, – my mom's an Italian immigrant. Uh, my dad's a – like I'm, I live in Canada for those who don't know. And and um, my mom's an Italian immigrant, as I said. My dad is a uh, lapsed English Catholic. They were all quite faithful until um, – that pesky thing that happened in the 1960s, some council or something. Um, <laughs> and then everyone kind of stopped, sort of stopped going to mass. I know that's not the only reason, but that was part of it. And so we were baptized and, you know, went to sort of watered down Catholic schools. Um, so we had no formation whatsoever. I, um, I had some, let's, let's put it this way. I had some moments in my life where I knew God was real. That's, I think that happens to most kids, to be honest, because you're just, you're a kid. You, you, you're almost smarter than when you're growing up in some ways. And, um, but then as I grew, you know, got through high school. Okay. I was Catholic. That was fine. Then sort of by the time I was done university, it was pretty much out of me. And then within a couple of years, I was getting married and I was, you know, basically, what am I going to do here with, you know, becoming a father and all that kind of stuff? So I started asking the big questions. I wanted to teach. Uh, I wanted to teach at my old high school, and I didn't, you know, it was a Catholic school. We were the Crusaders, um, and I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, for all my faults, I, for all my vices, I had one virtue left of not, you know, of integrity. I think not wanting to be a hypocrite. I was like, if I'm going to work at a Catholic school, then I'm not going to fake it because to me that was just that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to be religious because I thought people were faking it. So I said I'm not going to be one of those people. And uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote where he basically says, I'll paraphrase, but, you know, the moment that you start looking into Christianity, that's the moment you become a Christian. And uh, that was kind of the same for me. It was just sort of a flood from there. So within a year or two after that, I was a pretty serious Catholic having kids and praying the rosary and all that. And that's kind of the coolest notes. That's great. There's a lot to unpack there. I've, I've had actually a similar path. I grew up in the Nova Soto Church. You know, my mother was old enough to have attended the Latin Mass um, in her youth. But by the time I was born and um, my parents obviously had been married, that had all kind of gone by the wayside, I guess, because of that that wonderful council that you reference um, and its wonderful fruits. So I grew up in the Novus Ordo. We attended church every Sunday, but there's nothing really of substance there. So inevitably I drifted away, Once, especially once I entered into high school. Now, I never I never renounced my faith. But I certainly wasn't practicing it, practicing it in any meaningful way. I mean, and and the lack of catechesis, the lack of substance, led me to say things like, "Well, you know, when questioned, well, you know, that's why we call it faith. We don't really have answers. We just kind of believe." Which, of course, is completely contradictory to the history of the Catholic yeah. Church and how how she teaches. But I didn't know any better. I never I never learned any better. And I had to go through, oh, kind of a um, St. Augustinian rebellious phase of debauchery, let's say, before I, I came out the other end and said, this is this is an empty existence. And not only yeah. 
not only am I lacking any real concrete foundation for how to live my life, but I don't have any intellectual discipline. I'm, I'm just a leaf in the wind. Let me get back into my faith and see if there's anything real and true and beautiful there as they espouse there to be. And sure enough, there was. And it's been about 10 years now that um, I've been seriously practicing. And when I did come back, I came back right into the Latin mass because I wanted to go to the roots. Right. And, and of course, there I found all the, the truth and beauty that we've been denied for so long as part of the fruits of the council. So, yeah, I, I see. And also, I'm mostly Italian, so. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, we, we, are pais- we are Paisanos. Um, there you go. So how do you see um, the church? Now, I'm, I'm not very familiar with the state of the church in Canada. I know politically there's a big mess up there. But mm-hmm. have you kind of seen the same fallout from the council, from the Novus Ordo, permeating a lot of um, the popular understanding of the Catholic Church in Canada as we have down here in the States? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's an absolute disaster. There, um, it's an unmitigated disaster. Canadian Catholicism is effectively dead. I don't mean that to be too to be um, you know pessimistic, but it's there doesn't. I mean, in the states, for all those problems you have in the states, for one, you have like ten times as many people as we have, so you have you have as much or more of the bad things and as much or more of the good things. It's kind of just a a ratio thing. Um, mm-hmm. So as far as Catholicism, you know, you have those pockets, uh, you know, like um, even in the Midwest, there's all these priests that are Novus Ordo, but they've got these sermons that sound like they're, you know, they're just on fire for the faith and they're orthodox. I mean, guys like um, Father Altman, who I know he's traditionalist and moving towards doing that, Matt, but he does both. And Father Hellman, you have these kind of guys. Those people don't really exist in Canada. There's none of that. Um, it's just not. It's Canada is too. We're just too politically correct in an institutional perspective. We've had hate speech laws, you know, everyone, it's funny, I watch American news and, or I keep up on it, I should say, and, and people, oh, these hate speech laws might be coming. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's 2011 over here. You know, it's been around for a while. Um, so there's just, there's traditionalism in Canada. Like the SSPX has a decent uh, reach in the country. Um, there's probably more, if I think about it, there's probably more SSPX chapels than there are Trinity St. Peter. Um, because most bishops are just so reluctant to any tradition whatsoever that they're not going to invite the FSSB in anyway. And then obviously the SSPX operate differently than that. There's some diocesan Latin masses, like, you know, big city like Toronto and stuff. But even in a place like Edmonton, I mean, Edmonton has about a million people. And I think there's one Latin mass option. You know, like it's not, it's, it's, anyway, it's, it, Catholicism is basically dead here. And then a place like Quebec, um, Obviously, it used to be an extremely strong Catholic nation, and I mean that. It was – it's like its own nation. But they've, they've gone the way of Ireland, you know. I mean the rejection has been total. Um, so – but at the same time, though, without being too pessimistic, um, places like Quebec are the, – the, the, the fitting. That's what's what I'm looking for. The infrastructure is still Catholic. You know, they have these Quebec nationalist movements, and uh, they claim that they're non-religious, but then they outlaw Muslim symbols and things like that. Like they, they're very schizophrenic. You know, in, in their in their culture there now because they really are a Catholic country and that was their software, and then they rejected that. And now they don't know what to do. So it's a weird thing here in Canada. On the other hand, though, because Canada is how should I put this? We're so politically correct and we're so I don't know leftist, I guess. Uh, and I should actually say Canada's full of a lot of conservative people. If you leave the cities, it's like a different country. I'm sure it's similar in the states, but um, if you're outside of Toronto, 
like you'll see literally you'll see you'll see during the election you saw trump 2020 flags <laughs> all over the canadian countryside um wow. it's uh but it's just canada as i said you know it's not very populated so these few big cities they represent like half the country's population and they have that dominant urban mentality so it just dominates the news cycle and things whereas you know where i live i live in a small town but most of my friends are rural and we go out to the farms and hang out and whatever and honestly, it's a different nation. Like I go to a place like Toronto and I'm like, I'm not even in the same country anymore. So it's just a weird place like that. So on, on the one hand, Canada, it's got problems with the faith. But at the other, on the other hand, we're so worried about offending anybody here um, that uh, the government in some ways is unwilling to make any hard and fast lines, you know, um, about things. So if you just kind of keep your head down and you just push forward, you can just be Catholic. But But it's a strange country for a Catholic, I'll tell you that much. Right, the most famous uh, speech laws you mentioned are, are essentially what made um, Dr. Jordan Peterson a pariah in Canada. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. And do, so do you feel like you mentioned something interesting there? And we hear a lot in America make jokes about, you know, the um, the famed Canadian deference, right? The, the, the politeness of the average yeah, Canadian. Yeah. Do, do you do you find that if that is the case, that that is made the Canadian citizenry and maybe even aspects of the government and the clergy more susceptible to manipulation? In other words, they're 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 willing to go along to get along. Yeah, the thing that people have to understand about Canada, Canada is an English country. Um, outside, like Quebec is a French country, okay, and and the rest of Canada is like an English nation. What I mean by that, I don't just mean the language, but the culture. Up until nineteen seventies, honestly, the sixties, everything changed for the worse. <laughs> but up until the nineteen seventies, um, you would, as an immigrant coming to Canada. You uh, and this was a good thing. I actually remember telling I used I was teaching for a while and I would tell my students that were immigrants and things and I would explain to them what new immigrants used to go through. And they said, why don't they do that anymore? Because what they would do is they had like the British Ladies Society, sort of like in the States, you have the Daughters of the American Revolution, like kind of groups like that, that are sort of historical groups. And in Canada, you had these basically English cultural groups and they were everywhere and it was a it was a source of national pride and manners and politeness that you would bring in a new immigrant to learn things like afternoon tea, um, you know, just learn how to be in an English place. Canada was an English country. So part of that really is this classical liberalism, you know. Um, so there's this idea of live and let live. Um, don't make too much of a fuss. Have good manners like that. That's part of our we're loyalists, you know. So. Uh, the problem is, is like everywhere, Marxism has completely infiltrated every country. And the thing about Marxism, it's a it's a demonic philosophy. It's a snake, right? It takes it takes on different forms. So in America, obviously, you have this sort of revolutionary personality. Um, so when you guys have your Marxist infiltration, it turns into things like Antifa. <laughs> you know, it turns into these revolutionary kind of movements where it's explicit, it's violent, it's in your face. Everything's hot or cold in the States. There's no lukewarm, you know, right, whereas whereas in, in Canada, we're just very lukewarm. So, I mean, I'm sitting here. We are in the strictest lockdown in North America, in my province. Um, we don't have curfews or travel restrictions, but effectively you can't do anything except if you do it under the table. But the funny thing is, at the same time, even though we have extremely strict restrictions, the cops are enforcing almost nothing. It's kind of that dichotomy between we have this Marxist 
we have this completely Marxist mentality now because everybody does, but we also don't have the gully amongst our citizenry and our police to do stuff. There's some stuff you see on the news and things. Okay. They get the, the odd interaction, but um, I can just tell you from experience that if people don't want to live by the Corona restrictions and anything they can handle, they don't have to in, in Ontario, even though on paper they're strict. That's very interesting because I, I, I noticed something very similar down here in the United States. In fact, I, I've made the contention several times that the real distinction now, the real battle is not between Republican and, and Democrat, which has essentially become a useless distinction. It is. But it's rather between urban and rural. So I live in a rather rural, very rural area of Texas where I live. Nobody's not only is no one enforcing mask mandates, but the vast majority of people would not be caught dead wearing a mask. Whereas in the more urban areas, once you get into the cities, even the larger suburbs, it's anathema to not be wearing a mask. Um, and you mentioned also something very interesting that the, the revolutionary spirit, when it comes into some place like the United States, to be the antithesis of freedom and liberty, it takes the form of, of revolution. Why is it, do you think, then, that there is no counterbalancing spirit of, of revolution for the right? Is this part of the problem um, that you write about, about the abdication of, of the leadership that should be incumbent upon men, fathers, and those in positions of civic leadership that have kind of abdicated all responsibility, that don't want confrontation, and that have no real sense of um, inherent good and evil, that they really only lust after power or want to be left alone? So what you're saying is that lack of leadership, what fuels this revolutionary spirit? Is that your idea? Well, it's more about um, why don't we have a, a, a counter revolutionary spirit to this oh, Marxism? Okay. Right. Okay. Is, is, is it simply because of masculinity that the, there's now a, a great void of proper masculinity and this and this and this um, willingness to lead and stand up for something? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, honestly, you know, it's a lack of virtue. Um, I spend a lot of time in, in the first book, and Terror of Demons, going over virtue and literally what the word means. Because, um, okay, let's use a little historical example here. I'm reading through Alexander Solzhenitsyn right now. For those who don't know, he's a you know famous Russian author. He lived through the Gulag and all that. I'm, I'm listening to it actually an audiobook, but uh, in 2021 we say listening and reading <laughs> interchangeably because I'm sure a lot of us use audiobooks as as well as print books. But anyway. Um, it's funny. I'm thinking about what happened in Russia during the 19, late teens and early 20s and 30s. And um, the other day I was talking to, and this interview is on the Fatima Center website, uh, Michael Semin, who's a man from Czech Republic who lived through communism. He's about 55 years old or so. So he was around 22, 23 when it started to fall. Um, but we were talking about how um, it's funny, you know, in the early days of communism in the Eastern Bloc, um, for all the faults, I mean, and this is not me being an apologist for any of these communists, so don't confuse that to whoever's listening, but those men were raised in societies where they still required natural virtue to do anything. So you could be a Marxist, but you still had to be someone who had courage, you still had to be someone who was conscientious, you still had to be someone who, uh, you know, basically could get things done and just not be a soy boy, okay? Whereas, um, and that's completely changed. So now we have this society, and not only is it Marxist, but no one has any natural virtue whatsoever. So in these countries where they had this communist takeover, they took a population of, let's say, a place like Russia, and yeah, they had their issues ideologically, but these men were all raised 
in a Russian Orthodox nation that was very rugged, you know. So they were able to actually do things um, when they took over. Whereas now we have this weird technocratic Marxist. I mean, you know, I'm looking at this even even the left. I mean, I'm looking at Antifa and they're they're like these mobs. But when you actually watch the odd guy from Antifa get in a fight with a patriot. It's the, the guy like crumbles like a, like, you know, like a house of cards because he's never played a sport in his life or you know, thrown a punch or something. So there's just this total lack of virtue, even in the natural sense. Even our communists are weak now, which is why this whole lockdown thing is so maddening, because it's it's basically a oppression by social graces or something. It's oppression by um, social media. It's just a very strange thing. So, yes, this lack of virtue. um because there is no virtue amongst men, and I'm speaking generally, not universally, because there is no virtue amongst men, it's not possible for the odd man to form uh, – like how how do you form a counter-revolution when, you know, most of your neighbors are addicted to pornography? You know, what does that have to do with anything? But, you know, the point is everybody's a slave, you know? So – yeah, I think that's sort of a tangent, but yeah, the lack of virtue is synonymous with the lack of, of masculine leadership. It's a very good point, and I'd like to touch back on what you just said about um, the addiction to pornography. But before we even get into that, I, I, I think it seems to me that um, the Western man in general now sees the idea of virtue as something that's literally quixotic, right? It's It's... It's tilting at windmills. It's this kind of passe notion. Chivalry is something that um, only exists in, in stories about King Arthur. And as long as I'm successful financially, successful um, with women, whatever whatever disordered form yeah. that takes, I'm a success as a man in the Western world. Um, but Chesterton said um, being a success at work is not worth it if it means being a failure at home, right? So, so many men are a, fa- are a failure at home. They're either completely abandoning their role as a father properly understood, or they're ceding all of those, um, not power, but they're ceding all their proper authority to the wife who more often than not is not there either because she is also pursuing a career. Um, Mm. And I think that that that, that creates a void, which I think feeds into things like an addiction to pornography. And then it's all downhill from there. Can, can Can you expand a little bit on, I know you said it was just kind of an aside, but, but I think it is important. It's an integral point. Can you expand a little bit on, on what you meant about um, the nature of addiction to pornography being being systematic of a lot of what we're seeing and the decline of masculinity. Sure. Um, well, uh, pornography. I mean, pornography is, is 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 like a what's the word? It's it's like the it's a it's a vice on steroids. It's everything. Um, think about what a man has to do. Let's say I don't I don't think about it. <laughs> what I mean is um, <laughs> like all of the vices that are encompassed in developing that habit. It's lying, uh it's um uh, adultery, um um addiction, you know, lust. I mean literally every single vice. Um effeminacy, I mean, it really is an effeminate behavior because uh you 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 can't how should I put this? You're so weak, okay, that you can't um What's the word I'm looking for? You can't ignore the call uh, from the Internet like you can't you know, it, it's all the things that are attached to all uh, types of addictions, um, but it's also perverted. Like, that's what I mean. It's just sort of this king of vices because it encompasses all the things that I've said. So, I mean, do you remember Lamar Odom. Remember him, that basketball player? 
Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So he was he's a perfect example of this. He um he got fined. So he had such a bad pornography problem. And we're talking about a man who obviously is like seven feet tall. He's a super athlete. Okay. He's an NBA championship athlete. Very strong, very fit. He was so addicted that he got charged like $10,000 because um, they had a rule with the Clippers or the, whatever team he was on that they, if they were late for the bus a certain amount of times, they got charged like $5,000, $10,000. He was late for the bus multiple times knowing he'd be late and be charged that much because of his pornography addiction. So just think about that. Think about what that can do to a man who is, if you were to stand beside a man like that in the street, he could, like, destroy you with one hand. He's seven feet tall, and he's an athlete, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. But he is so weak internally that he can't put down his cell phone and his laptop. That's a problem. So, and actually, he had a happy turnaround. He sort of found God. I, I think he's kind of Protestant or something. But nonetheless, he found it and says he's over the addiction and advocates against it now, which is great. And, um, but the point is, is that, you have a society of men who have the same exact problem. How on earth do you get a man like that to think of beyond themselves? And I'm talking just in a natural perspective, just in a perspective of you're so addicted to comfort that there's no way you're going to do something that's going to cause you any harm because your whole reason for existing is pleasure. Now, in a Catholic sense, too, which makes it even more of a, a rich understanding, it's mortal sin. So... If you're living in mortal sin, your intellect is, is dead effectively. You know, this is why in our society you see all these – we have all of these people who have technical skills but no logical reasoning skills. You see this with doctors. You know, a friend of mine is a uh, – is a well, most of my friends are traditional Catholics. So my friend is an ER doctor. He sees through this whole coronavirus thing like anybody. I mean he's literally at the hospital's empty. You know, it's just – it's like he's just – this is a farce, you know, all this stuff. You know, call it what you will, pandemic, shamdank, whatever. Um, and I said to him, I said – We'll call him John. I don't want to give his name. I said, John, you know, you're going into the hospital every day. You know this is a farce. What are your colleagues saying? And we ended up, you know, speaking about it. And he basically relayed to me what I had thought is that all of his doctor colleagues, there's a few that see through it. And it's usually the ones who are Christians, to be honest. But most of the ones that don't see through it, they, they possess on the one hand a high level of technical skill. Meaning they just, they're, you know, it's almost like a computer, the hardware is fine. You know, they just are able to do the things. So they memorize stuff. They recognize things. They have just basically quick neurons firing so they can be a doctor because they're smart enough to memorize all the medications and use the machines basically. But then when you, you try to, he's like, when you try to have a, a conversation with them about logical thinking, they have no framework to even be logical whatsoever. Why, why is that ultimately? Because all of them are living in mortal sin. The intellect is dead. So all they're using is the sort of musculature, but they have no ability to actually um, to think for themselves. This is why you can put in front of a doctor who has 10, 15 years of school under his belt and, you know, technically speaking, probably has a high, high IQ. But then you put a thing in front of him and say, hey, uh, Dr. Fauci said don't wear a mask. OK, then he said wear a mask and they're told us the masks were working, but the cases were still going up. OK, and then they said put two masks on. So doesn't two masks mean that one mask doesn't work? <laughs> and they can't they can't compute. So you have these highly intelligent people who effectively are morons. And that's the effect of what sin does to the intellect. And that describes every single politician at the moment right now, except for maybe, I don't know, half a percent of them. That's that's also um, 
being that the darkening of the intellect is very real, uh, the further yeah. one moves from God, the further society moves from God, the more it's susceptible to the manipulations of the evil one. This is certainly in our modern age a real indictment of the clergy and the hierarchy of the church, right? Because rather than extolling these virtues that man uh, stole up and fostered these virtues, they're either mum on the whole subject or they're playing for the other team, for lack of a better term. Um, and, and, and they're supposed to be our leaders. And this also plays a lot into, and I, I speak about this a lot, and, and, and certainly I know your, your book, this, a lot of your book hinges on this. I would say that, that it should be obvious to anybody that is a Catholic that the way that, that heaven itself and the church are structured was meant to be mirrored in the family. Christ is the head of the church. The father is the head of the family. The mother is not subordinate in a derogatory sense, but she's the help of the father. They're, they're, and I don't mean to use corny terms like a team, but they're, they're a team. And then if, if we're talking about a hierarchical structure or, or, or a kingly structure, the father's the king, the mother's the queen, the children are the subjects, right? And it's incumbent upon a king and a queen to rule their subjects justly. And the church having largely abdicated all those responsibilities, we've seen a trickle-down effect where now the destruction of the nuclear family has become inevitable, if not totally taken place so far, because there's nothing higher to look up to. We don't have the example of a properly structured hierarchy speaking out against the evils of the world. So wh where does man look? Yeah, it's you're exactly right. And this is... People are... Oh, man. Two things. Speaking of moral sin, so much of the clergy doesn't believe, okay? And I'm not, not, I'm not just, I don't mean this just saying it like sort of haphazardly. I know this for a fact. So I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and um, he's an older gentleman. I mean, he's like 55 or something like that. But he was, um, he was telling me a story about a man who, and I won't say which diocese he's in, but this guy is going to be a bishop very soon. Let's put it to you that way. He's like a vicar general of a diocese. For a fact, I know that this man does not believe in the Eucharist, okay? And here's how I know that. Because years ago, he was um, uh, handing out, you know, the chalice to all the, all the people, the lay people, as you do at a Novus Ordo Mass. And he comes up to my friend, and he says, chug a lug, as he hands him the chalice. Just, like, not oh. the body of Christ. Not the, I mean, let's, let's put our minds in the Novus Ordo context. Listen, hey, I haven't... I I do SSPX apologetics, okay? Believe me, I'm, I'm I'm all for the traditional faith, but I have no judgment or problems with someone finding their way in the church as best they can wherever they are, because this is this is a devastated vineyard, as they say. So I have, if you are a conservative Catholic and you're just trying, you don't have a traditional liturgy, there's no judgment on my on my behalf here. And even for priests, guys like Father Altman, you know, like he mm -hmm. is an amazing priest who still says the Novus Ordo and is finding his way through that. That's up to him. That's not up to me to decide. I, but I know he believes is the point. Okay, I know he's transmitting the faith to his to his flock. Whereas, I know like there's a guy. I know he's going to be a bishop. He's going to be a bishop somewhere in Canada, and he does not believe in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the chalice. He doesn't believe in it. He doesn't believe in it. Um. So, to talk about mortal sin. I mean, if you are a fraud as a priest, how are you not living in a state of mortal sin? You probably don't even believe in mortal sin if you don't believe, you know, if you follow through all the way. So, um, you know, our society, we're looking towards, we're trying to find a leader, okay? And this is why people have to look elsewhere. Um, 
you know, f- people get on sometimes, you know, these these YouTube personalities, they say, oh, you know, they're a lay person. Why do they have so much influence? Well, if you ask any of the good ones, you know, Taylor Marshall and so forth, they say, listen, I'm they start, they started off as theologians or newspaper men or something like that. And that's fine. That's always been a role for the lady. And then there's such a lack of leadership that people are asking them the questions they should be asking their priests, but their priests can't answer. Um, and one last thing I'll say about the leadership thing is people, if you want to know how good leadership works, think about a sports team. Okay. I've coached a lot of football and a lot of rugby. So I've coached very intense sports and I've coached all these teams to championships at various years. And, um, it, you need to have one leader on the field for better or for worse. Um, even if that one leader is someone that the team doesn't like, it's still better than having multiple voices. And I've, I've seen this work, um, you know, having to make mid-season adjustment, adjustments and things like that, thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, democracy does not work in leadership. It does not work in leadership. Um, if one person is the leader, again, for better or for worse, it frees everybody else up to do their own job and not have to worry about things beyond their control. Because once you have too many voices chirping at each other, then all of a sudden you have everybody who wants to be the leader of the team and no one is capable of just doing their job. And that's what you see in families where um, the sort of, um, uh, what's it called? You know, the sort of like, uh, you know, household economy. Um, Listen, even without invoking the Bible, women have children, shocker. To people in 2021, but women have children, okay? And in a time before birth control, women had lots of children or were pregnant often and had miscarriages. But the point is that there was always this reality of uh, the, the, the having to nurture for small children, okay? Husbands, just by default, just by nature, had to be in the lead because they had to take care of things that the mother could not take care of because of the biological reality of man and woman. So and this is one thing that actually Jordan Peterson, you mentioned him. Um, he did you see him post the St. Michael prayer the other day? Did you see that? I did. I, I know he took it down, um, but I was encouraged to see that that there's a seed there that's been planted. For sure, for sure. Because I mean, he was he was big for me in my my reversion, just from an intellectual perspective. He, he was kind of the first guy I had seen as a secular person making sense of religious things. I know his theology is off, but at the time it was important. Um, Anyway, but uh, he has really great um, talks about uh, men and women, and he just as a psychologist knows how dangerous the birth control pill has been for women because just again from a natural perspective, women are made to do something, and then when you cut that main function off, no one knows what to do with themselves anymore. So you're exactly right that um, the leadership – uh, looking towards the clergy, there's nothing there. And then the order of men and women is completely off, which just causes chaos. Yeah, I've, I've, I've um, in a broader sense, I, and I've become more extreme on this over the past, just over the past year or so, just through doing readings, through observing the crumbling of society around me, through a handful of conversations with Charles Colombe. I think that democracy is kind of an effeminate form of government, isn't it really? Because Because everyone kind of has a say. There's no strong leadership. No one is saying this is the way it is. There's no there's certainly no personal responsibility on the part of our elected officials. I mean, good grief. We, we see that. And, and so that that trickles down to all of society and then coupled with um, rampant consumerism, which um, 
a democracy lends itself to. It means that the ideas of self-sacrifice, which is also an, an inherent and incredibly important part of true masculinity, it goes out the window. So yeah. if Christ is our example of a man, he he uh, submitted to the ultimate sacrifice. He humbled himself ultimately. But now I feel like a man won't even give up a meal every day. Or they <laughs> won't give up uh, – no, they won't give up their TV time. They won't miss the game. You know, yeah. they, they won't they – won't, and worse, that, like you say, and this is the extreme evil end of it. The addiction to pornography, they can't they can't cut ties with that. They may be what they can and, – and here's here's what's especially troubling. I know for a fact that there are men who consider themselves happily married who have pornography addictions. I mean yeah. the, and the, the, those, those do not uh, compute that, that this is not a cohesive thought process that someone could have. But, but society has enabled that to such a large extent that, that the idea of self-sacrifice is, 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 is almost extinct. It may be extinct in Western society. Um, mm-hmm. What do you see as some practical steps to try to reclaim this? I mean, obviously prayer is our ultimate uh, and most efficacious means to attain any grace, but are there, are there practical social steps and steps uh, within the family that a man can take to try to like, let's say someone looks in the mirror in the morning, they listen to this talk, they read your book, and they say, you know what, I'm, I have gotten this all wrong. I have succumbed to the culture. Mm-hmm. I have succumbed to effeminacy. I have succumbed to the notion that my personal needs are, are, are paramount to everything else. I want to set this right. What, what are some first practical steps you think that that man can take who wants to write his life and reorder his sense of morality and his sense of masculinity? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well... <clears throat> There's two sides to this. On the one hand, and again, I've got a lot of my a lot of my knowledge from coaching. That's a, it's a when you coach teenagers, especially, it's a it's an interesting sociological experiment to see how you can how what you can push people to do and what's too much and what's too little and trying to find the balance. So, on the one hand, you can't let's say like honestly, let's just say you're a young man, you stumble, stumble across this podcast and you want to be a good guy. We all want to be good guys. Okay. You want to be a good guy. And you know, you got a problem with this vice or that vice and you watch a little bit too, you know, watch your pornography, play too many video games, whatever. This is common. Okay. But at the same time you have a conscience and you're like, man, this sucks. I, you know, I feel guilty. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, you can't just do everything like some sort of Navy seal right away and expect to not fall again. So, um, look at your hierarchy of vices. Okay. Look at your hierarchy of vices. So obviously if you have a problem with pornography, that's number one. So what do you do with that? Well, there's two, there's two steps to this. The first thing is you have to make a surgical maneuver. So if it's your phone, you have to literally get rid of your phone until you have it under control. That might sound extreme. Well, hell is extreme. So avoid that by doing something extreme in the good sense. Um, and honestly, talk to somebody, a friend, a buddy, uh, whatever, a priest, I don't know, and say, um, take my phone from me. Okay. You know, I mean, they're expensive. Maybe you don't want to smash it or something, <laughs> but just, you know, de- de- deactivate it. Everything you need to do, you can do on your computer. Okay. So what you're going to do there is you're going to have to install some, some software, Covenant Eyes, whatever. There's lots of good ones. Look them up. They're really good. Okay. That's sort of the surgical step, but that's not enough because you're still going to have the inclination, whatever. Next thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to replace all of that time and vice with something good. So you have to look at yourself and say, what are my habits? So let's just say, you know, like, again, you're your average kid. You go to school. You go to work. You're not a total degenerate. So it's not like you're 
watching stuff on your work computer or something, okay? So at least you know there's a place where you can be sort of moral, okay? But then you say, you know what, I live alone. And, um, you know, I live alone and when it's nine at night and whatever, that's kind of the setting. I always end up falling into this device. Well, you're going to have to stop being alone. You're going to have to make a real active social life uh, or you're going to have to go to church all the time. Seriously, like if, you know, it's it's better for you to um, spend four hours a night just sitting in a pew at a church reading a book than sitting at home trying to fight a vice on your computer, if that makes sense. So you're going to have to look at your life and you're going to have to cut out surgically the things that are the major problems. And then you're also going to have to fill that time with something else. Next thing you need to do is uh, you're going to have to have some sort of accountability. Okay. And it can be a priest for sure, but it's got to be more than that because um, your priest can't really be your buddy. You know, your priest can't be the guy that you're texting, you know, or, or calling. I guess you're gonna have no phone, but you can't be the guy that you're just sort of knocking on his door at whatever time saying like, I need to go for a walk, you know, come walk with me. So you're going to have to find some guy that is going to be in this with you um, and find a guy who's got his life together, not just somebody who's struggling with the same thing. Cause you're going to want to have somebody who can pull you out of it. Um, so once you do those three things, that's, I mean, that's huge. I mean, most most people don't even do that. So I think if you do that and you say, I'm going to do this for like a month, you'll be surprised at how good your habits will be after that. And then from there, you can you can you can continue growing in virtue. Those are those are great tips. Um, you know, as a Catholic, I want to be able to say just casually say, you know, well, make frequent use of, of the confessional. But yeah. finding a good confessor now can be a real problem i'm i'm a tremendous fan of uh father isaac mary relier i'm sure you're familiar with with father relier yes and yeah yeah he, he i mean if you talk about a, a, a proper model of, of christian masculinity father relier's got it and um he gives talks about making good confession and he talks about the nature of a good confessor and says they're hard to find but as you mentioned with the hierarchy of vices, he said, the, you know, one of the main things, one of the first things that an actually good confessor is going to do for you is they're going to try to root out that predominant vice, find out what it is and root it out and give you the steps. And and, and that one of the other things that confessors don't do anymore is is withhold absolution, delay absolution, I should say, not withhold, but they'll delay absolution if you're not truly contrite. And they can figure that out because have you taken steps if you're if your vice is pornography yeah. and as you said you're on your phone all day mm-hmm. looking at pornography well christ said pluck your eye out and cut your arm off yeah so today we have the cell phone and the laptop if you can't get rid of your cell phone and your laptop and say you know people are going to make the excuses well i need to stay in contact with my wife or my boss get a dumb phone my friend i mean it'll make phone calls just as easily as your smartphone and you're not going to have access the thing that's contributing to your predominant vice. But when people aren't willing to take these steps, I feel like, and again, this is trickled down from the clergy, they mustn't believe. Because if they truly believed, they would do whatever it took to avoid yep. the eternal torments of hell, right? So, so yep. uh, again, just empirically, from the clergy and from these people that, that, that claim that they want to better themselves and become virtuous men, well, their, their words and their actions betray them. Because they don't take the steps necessary. And like you also say very practically, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to become captain of virtue immediately, but you have to take these initial practical steps. Uh, and I think you make a lot of excellent points there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to continue from that to talk about um, your second book, Family Be Damned, um, because obviously this all ties together. 
Uh, what was kind of the inspiration for that? Obviously, there's a, there's a parallel there to you mentioned C.S. Lewis. There's a, there's obviously yeah. a parallel there to the Screw Tape letters, right? So there's some some inspiration there. Um, was that like kind of the impetus for where, where you wanted to begin, and then you and then you wanted to give it like a particularly Catholic bent and kind of shape it to um, what we're witnessing now in society? Or what, what was your what was your your creative process for that? Well, um, creative process. Well, to be honest, I was sitting there one day. It was like probably June. I don't know. Uh, this lockdown, man. Um, this freaking lockdown. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm. When when I look at authors who have written their best work, and I'm not saying this to be self-aggrandizing, but I am quite proud of, of *Family Be Damned*. Um, I am. I'm, I'm happy with it. But um, I can see now why wartime political struggle, whatever, uh, personal struggles, that's when authors do their best work because there's something about the insanity of a strange world that brings out a creative spirit. And that's, I think it's the same thing that happened with me because I've seen through this, honestly, by the grace of God, I was doing the Exodus 90 program, which I know some traditionalists don't love because it's obviously a very Nova sort thing, but I will tell you what, there is no, um, it's, it's not easy. It's not enough to say to people, go and adopt all the church's fasting norms because we've just discussed this. People don't even know how to fast. So I, I give the mm-hmm. Exodus 90 all credit possible for the fact that they've put something together for guys to just do as a group. And that is strongly lacking. Um, so anyway, but I was doing the Exodus 90 for the second time. I had done it once. I was probably not going to do it again because I had sort of learned from it and was going to do other things. But then a priest friend of mine asked me to do it as sort of like a, a, you know, a veteran in a group. So I said, sure. Anyway, so I was doing that. So I wasn't reading the news. So I had no idea what coronavirus was. I literally had no idea because I, in Exodus 90, you're not supposed to read the, you know, you don't surf the net basically as part of it. So the only thing I knew about the coronavirus was what Chris Ferrara was saying about it because the only website I was reading was the Fatima Center where I write. And um, Chris Ferrara was pointing out since day one how it was basically a flu bug, if anything at all. And he was correct. And um, so lo and behold, we're in this lockdown and as I said, since day one, I'm like, what the hell are people getting so upset about? This is a flu. So I had that perspective from the beginning where I saw it for this crazy farce that it was. Um, and that set me on an internal spiral of just realizing how deeply the communism had set in. When I watched the churches shut down before the government even said so, especially here in Ontario, I realized just how weak the bishops were. I just realized, and then I saw, because I'm a teacher by trade, I saw what was happening to the students. I saw that they're missing their sports. I saw um, what was happening with families. Listen, there's problems with public schools. Don't get me wrong. Um, But for a lot of these kids that are in abusive homes, which is more kids than you'd want to know, the school is their reprieve and they get support that they don't get anywhere else. Again, that's not the way society should be. But as far as we are right now, that's just a reality for a lot of kids. Um, And their mental health is deteriorating. So I'm just looking at this and I'm sitting on my chair one day in my living room. My kids are I don't know, we were watching Little House on the Prayer or something. We watched these old shows. And um, literally the book just flooded into my mind. I've always been a big fan of the screw tape letters. Um, just it's a wonderful vehicle. I'm also a big fan of the book Dracula. I like the I like the books that use that epistle format, that letter format, because I think they mm-hmm. do the best. I think it's the best method possible for showing the psychology of a thing. And the, the demonic is it plays out in the realm of psychology more than anything. So 
I'm sitting there and I literally I tweeted about it actually. I tweeted it sometime if I could find that tweet. And I basically said, um, I have a new book. It's right here in my head. So I sat down, I wrote it in about a month and a half. Um, and uh, it was my way of exploring how this lockdown truly was a diabolical attack on the family and using the fiction as a way of telling a story about what I could see happening to the average family that was struggling. And that's basically the impetus for the book. And this has indeed happened to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say the majority of families, obviously I can't empirically support that, but it seems to me to be the majority of families. Um, but the problem is they don't recognize it as a diabolical attack. Uh, because the very real existence of the diabolical is something that they don't consider to their great detriment, right? It's just like um, in, in, in the political sphere, and this is something that was very frustrating to me in America, is that there was a, a, a vast majority of people kind of waiting for, I don't know what, but someone to ride it on a white horse and save them, or for yeah. Trump to get, you know, to get in, in his chopper and just blast away all the bad guys. And um, it was it was it was um, periculum in mora, right? Nobody did anything for for a long time, and look where we ended up. Um, nobody wanted to take action. Nobody wanted to take personal responsibility. Um, and that's never it's never a good idea because because nature abhors a vacuum. So if 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 the virtuous man is not in control, then the corrupted diabolical man will be. Um, yep. Just like if the if the father isn't the head of the household. Something has to be the head of the household, um, and it usually ends up being some kind of diabolical spirit. I mean, the, the 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 demons are constantly looking to oppress, suppress, and possess everyone. I mean, this is something that needs to be kept in mind. I mean, Father Ripperger says, you know, the devil isn't under every rock, but he's under every other rock. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 that's very true. And in fact, Father has something else that you just you just kind of touched upon. Father Ripperger has a tremendous series of videos that I don't think nearly enough people watch comparing the diabolical psychology to the way it's mirrored in the mindset of the Marxists and communists. He draws direct parallels, makes exactly. absolute sense. But if you don't but if you don't acknowledge that stuff, right, Kenan, if you don't believe it exists, then you don't know what you're fighting against. You're just waiting for the right guy to be voted into office. It's it's incredibly frustrating to me now too that like I see all these people on Twitter who I think have good intentions. And they're like, oh we're gonna get them in twenty twenty four, you know, we're gonna vote in the right people. Right. What makes you think elections matter anymore? I mean, they obviously don't. You're not going to vote in anybody, my friend. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're going to put in whoever they want, and you let well, it happen. It, it makes me crazy. Or yes, you're right. They're going to put in whoever they want. Or and one thing I don't um, like. Obviously, you know, we can name it because we're not supporting it. But the whole Q thing, okay? The fatal flaw mm -hmm. in that was obviously this idea of trusting the plan um, and. Now, I do think that there is um, – uh, I think the other side of it is – how should I put this? The Q thing is, a, is Gnosticism is what it is. It's like an, it's, it's this idea that we have secret knowledge, whatever, whatever. It's Gnosticism, okay? On the other hand so, – so how should I put this? So the reaction by a lot of right-leaning people is to reject any idea that there could be any political – person who could do anything for conservatives for catholics i don't think that and then sort of the flip side of q and i see this amongst my friends and I'll, I'll call them out on it but i'll say the flip side q is basically believing that there's this sort of conservative omnipotent omniscient power that's going to fix everything 
The other side of that, though, is ascribing to the globalists and the leftists the same qualities. What we're forgetting is, is that the globalists and the leftists, they are all, every single one of them, all of them are living in a state of mortal sin habitually. Whether that's pornography, whether that's literally Epstein-style stuff, whether that is just the fact that they're usurers, just the fact that they oppress the poor, just the fact that they're liars. I mean, there's a million and one different vices that are necessary to be a leftist. Mm-hmm. And the Republican Party is no different. I'm probably on a, on a personal level. But I'm just saying, as a philosophy, it is a sinful philosophy. It's lying, cheating, and stealing to get your way. There's no way that any of them are living in a state of grace. Okay. What does that mean? Well, it means, again, they're stupid. Okay. So um, they have blind spots. And one of the blind spots that I think we're going to see pretty soon, and this is not a cue, trust the plan thing whatsoever. What we're going to see, and Charles Colomb always talks about this, in various countries, you're going to see a fascist, right-leaning, strong man who's going to arise. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is you're going to see this vacuum. Uh, and and Jordan Peterson always said this as well. He would say to the leftists, he would say, you know, say what you will, but you don't want to see – if you think that – you know, if you don't like violence and you don't like, uh, you know, far-right ideology, <laughs> then you don't like – you're not going to like what's going to come down the pike when finally a group of young men – and maybe it starts on a Reddit forum, <laughs> but you're not going to like what <laughs> happens when you see a group of men say, I've had enough. I've got nothing to lose. Um, and they they come to realize that what on earth are they scared of Nancy Pelosi about? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what on earth are they scared of a bunch of old boomer uh, leftist perverts who, sure, they have sort of the, the arms of government, but no one respects them. You know, so you're going to see in certain countries a, a total reactionary movement. And in my opinion, that actually kind of fits in Catholic prophecy. And I'm not saying I know when the end times are anything like that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But when I read the um, DuPont's famous book about Catholic prophecy, leading up to the time when you do have this prophesied monarch and, and this restoration, this age of peace, old Fatima message, etc., you have these precursors. You have these precursors that they're not the kings, they're not the great ones, but they set the stage for... They, they basically they, – they, they, they lay the foundation for the man who is to come to give him some political breathing room because the way that God handles history is he uses all types of instruments, okay? So it's going to be interesting to see over the next little while. Um, it's probably going to happen in a place like Italy. You already see the fascist movement is already rising there in Italy. It's getting huge right now. You see that their governments had to resign and people like Matteo Salvini, who him, he's himself is a, is a, a moderate politically, but he's a nationalist at least. He's an, he's an Italy first kind of guy. Um, and because of that, those, you know, far right Italian traditionalist types are rallying behind him. Um, and you're going to see a reckoning in some places. It's not going to happen in Canada. No, it's not going to happen at all. Um, but it will be interesting to see what happens with that. I was, I was talking to Cologne yesterday, literally yesterday about this exact thing. And he okay. said, you know, the man on the, the man on the white horse will come. And, and he says, you know, we're either going to get someone that's well-intentioned like a Franco or something yep. completely different entirely. Um, you know, and, and, and I said, what I'd like to see in, in the United States is a completely Catholic Jefferson Davis, but, and a secession, an actual secession. But, yep. you know, I, I, the problem with that is the left would never allow it to be peaceful. Cologne made an excellent point that the left kind of congregates and lives in all the places in America where nobody does or makes anything. 
Yes, exactly. So, so they're not going to let the part of the country that actually does work and make things and do things just just slip away because then they're you know they're screwed. You know, pardon my language, but it's that that's true. Yeah. So they'll make it bloody. They'll make it war. And if the military is is put in this position, they'll split. And then we've got a real bloody problem, just like we did the first time around. Um, mm-hmm. But I I don't I don't see how this country survives in one piece. I really don't. Um, I know that. Um, Rick Barrett on the Crusade Channel talks about this all the time, and I'm in full agreement with him, uh, that that there has to be a split. Now, we pray for it to be peaceful, but there has to be. I mean, am I, am, am I, am I wrong about that? Do you think or, – or, or is it possible to coexist with people that not only fundamentally are at odds with everything that you hold dear, but that want to force their way of thinking, their, their diabolically oriented way of thinking on everyone that disagrees with them? No, it's not possible. It's not possible whatsoever. And I am in no way advocating for violence. Trust me, I am not. Um, you know that movie, The Patriot? I know it's silly. I know it's not historically accurate, but it's an awesome movie. Let's be honest. Um, oh yeah, Mel Gibson. But one thing, you know, the one great uh, line at the beginning um, when he won't go to war is he's like, "Why on earth would I go? Why?" He basically said, "What's the difference between one tyrant three thousand miles away and three thousand tyrants one mile away?" Okay. And I know that's revisionist history. George III was no was nowhere near the tyrant that he's made out to be. Um, but and he would not go to war um, because he basically said, I'm a father. You know, I'm not going to do this. OK, I'm not going to go die for something because the only people that matter to me are my children. And then eventually he has to enter the war because it enters his backyard. OK, um, so I'm not advocating for violence because our primary responsibility has to be to our family. But the reality is, <clears throat> is that, again, these leftists and the globalists in general and conservative movements full of these people. So I'm not this isn't again, it's not a Republican Democrat thing because it's all saturated. But. There is no reason amongst this crowd, so there is no ability to reason. You can't reason with people who don't believe life begins at conception. You can't because they don't believe in reality, okay? You can't reason with people who think that children will be fine through divorce. It's not – and I'm a child of divorce, but the point is generally speaking, it's completely destructive to families. You cannot read even the even the Stalinists realized this. This is the funny part. Even Stalin realized this when 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 they took over Russia, Lenin and so forth, the Bolsheviks. OK, and they were Western ideals. OK, the, the Russians get a short end of the stick. It was ideas from places like France and England and Germany. Um, it was masonry, basically. But when when they took over, it was complete libertine. You know, Marquis de Sade nonsense. If you look back on the on politically incorrect history, abortion was rampant. Um, public women, they were basically like prostitutes that were paid for by the state. That first five or six years, the Russian Revolution was an unmitigated moral disaster. OK, Stalin realized this. So you had even amongst the communist nation, which was politically insane, you had a far right pendulum swing. And this is what I mean by the far right thing coming that not, isn't necessarily good. OK. You had a far right pendulum swing of morals. All of a sudden, homosexuality was completely outlawed. All of a sudden, uh, adultery was like something that was completely outlawed. All the, basically, all of a sudden, they realized that the, the people could not function in a society that had no morals because they became crazy people. They became they became slaves to vice to the point where they couldn't even do their day jobs. Uh, we don't even have any of that residual reason left. Okay, so like uh, you know. Again, with the analogy of Russia, these guys were raised as Russian Orthodox Christians. This is why you can read a guy like H.P. Lovecraft or any of these controversial figures 
um, but and they're atheists or Orwell, you know, he's an atheist, but he was raised in a society that had natural virtue. So he can look at a problem and he can go, clearly, it's not good for a man to be lazy because laziness is slothfulness. And that's a vice. They at least have a vocabulary for that. We don't even have that anymore. So it is interesting because honestly, who the hell is going to fight for the left at this point? That's why I think that conservatives, um, you know, Mike Church and I we were talking, I was on a show yesterday. And he just kind of did some simple math about where he lives in Louisiana. And he was thinking, you know, Kennedy, let's just say the southern part of it where the, you know, where he lives, he's like, there's probably about 600,000 of us, whatever. And he says out of that, you know, he basically did some quick math. And he said, there's quickly, there's easily 60,000 of us who could be persuaded pretty, pretty easily to basically do business with each other exclusively to support each other's endeavors, to make schools with each other, to make sports leagues. And he was right because it was the conscientious Christian conservative crowd who believed in things like family first. The left is not going to do that. That's one thing people have to realize. Beyond the urban centers and beyond the places where they can be uh, enticed by pleasure, they're not going to do anything to get off their rear end. This is why leftists love lockdowns because they can get paid to make a living off of Zoom. Okay, so on the one hand, will there be violence? I think there has to be in some way because there's no possible way for it to happen with reason. But on the other hand, I also don't see the left doing anything about it. And the reason for that is because, honestly, what are they going to do? Like, think about a place like Washington, D.C. Looks like Pyongyang right now with all the, uh, you know, the, the military barracks around the capital or whatever. Or the, you know, mm-hmm. That's fine. But you could just leave Washington. <laughs> if you just go somewhere else and um i i don't know again i i don't mean to to beat a dead horse i don't know how the left is going to do anything beyond their basic control measures that they already have so if you separate yourselves from them i don't know what power they have over people i like what you say about um and i've i've, I've become involved in some of this myself and what mike church says and has been saying of of just basically just doing business with ourselves, right? And 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 retaking the culture from there and letting it spiral out. Um, for me personally, my my niche is is kind of popular media and entertainment. So I have a lot of the same interests as Marshall McLuhan, you know, with a, just a right. fraction of the intellect. But um, <laughs> but but uh, but but I'm trying. So what I speak about all the time is I, I recorded today. Before we got on, I just recorded an impromptu episode, some thoughts I had by, believe it or not, my wife and I watching Leave It to Beaver. Okay. Because because it's because it's it, it gives us such an illustration of what we've lost. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've never had a real national religion, but at some point in the 40s and 50s, you could almost be made to say that our national religion was good manners or natural virtue, as you say. But once all that is stripped away, then anything is permitted. So why not circle the wagon, so to speak, as as Catholics, as traditional Catholics, and start to reclaim some of the stuff for ourselves? And if the outside world falls to pieces, well, you know, we don't give up on evangelizing, but at some yeah. point, as Christ says, you got to kick the sand from your feet. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And for all Rod Dreher's faults, um, with his sort of weird never Trumpism, which are many, which, which are, are many. many. um for all his faults uh whether or not you know you i've never even read the benedict option i haven't read it um i've read probably half a dozen articles about it heard heard him talk about it on um i think back in the day i was listening to something of his on catholic answers okay um 
it's not it's not a bad idea insofar as you just realize that you like how should I put this? The game is rigged, so you just don't play the game anymore. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a totally Christian idea. Um, obviously, I think people parody his idea and they say, well, he's just advocating for Catholic Amish. No, he's not advocating for Catholic Amish. He's not saying don't use modern technology insofar as it's helpful. He's just saying, and he's correct, that society is Sodom and Gomorrah, so don't live in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's actually pretty common sense. <laughs> um, right. And the Bible shows what happens when you go to Sodom and Gomorrah. You die. So Abraham gets you out if you're lucky. <laughs> so get out before God has to destroy the city. And funny, we actually live around a bunch of Mennonites in our area in southern on southwestern Ontario. Um, there was a huge influx of Pennsylvania Dutch, you know, 150 years ago with um, – uh, I can't remember for what reason. I think it was during the Civil War and tons came up here um, around the time Canada became a, a, a dominion, the sort of a confederacy in Canada. So – but um, so there's a huge uh, portion of Mennonites and Amish. They are technically different, but obviously similarities. And so during this whole Corona thing, my wife and I have rejected the whole mask nonsense. I mean, I've had to wear one in the hospital. You know, had, my wife had a miscarriage um, uh, in November. We had to we had to wear one because they weren't going to let us in otherwise. But we found our way to just get by without wearing them. And to be honest, it's just taken a little bit of ingenuity. And we've started to. Um, uh, we've basically changed all of our consumer habits. Um, you know, we, we use big box stores for, let's say, 10% of our shopping for things that we just haven't found a replacement for yet. But 90% of it is the small stores and the Mennonites and the Amish who we can find if we take a 20-minute drive. And that sort of made me realize that and, – and my wife said this and also Mike Church said this. Mike, Mike Church and Charles Coulomb, two of the most underrated voices out there. Mm. And um, – Basically, you have a divorce in society right now. You have a schism in society. You have people who live for, let's just say for lack of a better term, let's call it let's call it personal freedom. I know that can be too libertarian and taken out of context, but let's just call it that for a second. And you have Marxists. So you have people who are obviously all about the lockdown and they love the slogans and they think Kamala Harris is the second coming of Jesus Christ and whatever. But then you also have the people who are just, whether they're religious or not, they're saying, screw this. Don't like it. Not about it. I'm going to live my life. I want to see my friends. I'm not sick. Stop telling me I'm sick. You know. So as things progress, if you look for those people, you'll find them. And we're realizing just in the last few months, my wife and I, that uh, we live in a different society than we used to. And that's okay. But that's going to be something that people are going to have to consciously do, is they're going to have to make the decision that they're not going to go, quote unquote, back to the, the old normal. Because that's not going to happen for – well, it's not going to happen ever in the truest sense. It's not going to happen just like the way travel never went back to normal after 9-11. There's never going to be a complete old way of doing things. But as things are what they are, you can cultivate for yourself an enclave. And it is a, a time of mourning. It really is. You know, um, As I said, I did tons of coaching. There's not going to be any rugby this spring. It'll be two, two years in a row without any sports for high school students in Ontario at all. Um, and that really is sad because I built up some programs and they were doing really well. You know, we, we don't have states or we call them with their provinces, but we were set to go win the equivalent of state it was going to be a big year. And um, that's just dead. And I don't know if that program is ever going to get started again because uh, what's going to be probably a year before they allow sports like rugby in Ontario. Anyway, my, too much of a side note. But my point being, um, I think coronavirus in a way <clears throat> – 
it's nowhere near the killer of people that people thought it would be. Uh, but I think God used it as a way to kill off things that needed to die. And um, a lot of things in society had to die because they were unsustainable. So as we are living in this weird gray area right now, it's a time to create your new reality. Um, and it's going to take some work, but we haven't experienced any resistance either because again, the left doesn't want to actually have any effort. That's, that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. Okay. They don't want any effort. They want to do things with complete comfort. So people will ask us, well, how have you found, how have you found a way to not wear masks? It's like, we just walk in the store without one on. And if we have a conversation with the person, we just tell them what the actual bylaw is. And they say, oh, wow, I can't imagine doing that. It takes 30 seconds of effort. How have you ended up finding, you know, people will say, well, how have you been able not to use Costco? We just go to different stores. <laughs> we just go to places that take 20 imagine minutes. That. To drive. Yeah. And people imagine don't want to do it. But, we, but if you want to do it, you'll, you'll be able to do it. Complacency is a great enemy of, of virtue. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've done the same thing here. We 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 do not wear the mask. If we get kicked out of a store, guess what? We probably didn't need to be in that particular store. There's a, there's a small guy down the block that will happily take our money. Um, and yeah, I wish people would do that because, as you say, the 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 left are cowards. For example, the display of military might that they put on in Washington D.C. for the inauguration, that wasn't that wasn't a show of power. It was a it was a display of cowardice. They're 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 panicking. They're terrified that something's gonna rise up and get them. Um, so a little bit of pushback and they're gonna topple over. And 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 I and I think it's so important that people start to realize this, and that they begin with things like not wearing the mask. Not wearing the mask. I, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have gone into a store without the mask on. And we'll see over the course of the time that we're in there, people will catch our eye and see that we're not wearing it. And they'll say to themselves what I imagine to be, well, I'm not wearing this either. And they'll they'll take theirs off. Sometimes all it takes is, is someone noticing someone else that they can be in solidarity with to take action. So it's, it's very easy to be that example. Just be that example. Yeah. And um, the, again, the blind spots of the left. And maybe you know what? There's two phases to revolution. One is to form society into a libertine nightmare. The other side, the other is to just destroy it. They're kind of the same thing. I think we're in the destruction stage because, you know, again, I'm living here in this lockdown, which is completely insane. Ontario's lockdown, I mean, it's beyond nonsense. It's so it's so ridiculous that it makes California look sane. Put that in perspective. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. we have a stricter lockdown in California, and it's not ending anytime soon. They're they're just thinking about um, opening up restaurants like right now. Restaurants are open for takeout, some of them, um, but you can't go into a hardware store. You have to call the store and organize a curbside pickup or use their website. That's how you can't go. You you can go into Walmart across the street, but you anyway, it's totally insane. So um, we are we are a long way away from from that changing. Um, but at the same time, they don't realize that they're just they're just emboldening everybody. I've, you know, for a long time, conservatives in Canada, you know, conservative, for lack of a better word, they believed that you could vote in the guy who was going to be good, whatever. Now they're all failures. We have a conservative so-called premier, which is like a governor in our province. He was seen as being like far right before the lockdown. 
the teachers hated him. The uh, leftists hated him because he he had he was friends with all these you know so-called radical evangelical preachers and things. He was like the populist Trump kind of guy. Um, lockdown came around. He folded like a like a he just folded completely. Um, and he's now I mean he may as well be a complete communist. He's such a joke. Um, he's like Boris Johnson in that sense. To be honest, that's an apt comparison over in England. And, that's exactly uh, what I was going to say. It sounds like Boris Johnson. Exactly yeah. the same. Servers were all excited because, you know, he himself wasn't like a pious Christian man, but he was totally fine with, you know, uh, radical Christian university having a, a having the audacity to say that they, everyone had to follow the Bible if they went there. He was fine with at least that, you know. Um, so, um, but they're radicalizing people. And partly I think that that's something that they want to happen. Um, one side of me goes, they want to create the so-called domestic terrorist, right? Um, but on the other hand, I kind of look at it with, like with Pope Francis. They're all from the same cloth. And what Pope Francis is doing now to suppress the Latin mass or looking like he's going to do that, at the same time he's been giving the SSPX more and more freedom and permission. I don't know. I think it's just a destruction phase, almost like an auto-destruction, because now <clears throat> you're going to see legitimate secession arguments happening in the states. And it's going to be as a result of this weird leftism. So I could go on about it for forever, but it's going to be a strange time. I have some, I have some particular thoughts about what I think is going on with the SSPX. I don't know if, I don't know if they're ready for prime time, but um, <laughs> maybe at some, maybe at some point off air, I can share those with you because I, I, I have a, yeah, I have sure. some, some interesting ideas. Um, Kennedy, this has been, this has been tremendous. I really enjoyed this. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Other than uh, your work at the Fatima center, uh, your two books, terror of demons, and family be damned on your YouTube show, the Kennedy report. Is there anything else you kind of want to plug or anywhere else that people can find you? Just on Twitter, um, at Kennedy hall and on gab, I'm going, I'm doing the whole gab thing as well. I'm not going to leave Twitter. It's still, there's certain things, you know, that you can say and not say, even stay on Twitter. I just don't say the things I know you can't say. Um, and right. I'm still on it and I, you know, um, but that, and then, um, yeah, that. Oh, I'm I'm um, starting a magazine with um, the District Superior of the SSPX here in Canada. It's going to be called the Catholic Home, and it's a Catholic family magazine. Um, the idea of it is, is it the idea of it is it for it to actually be a breath of fresh air. So no politics, no no tragedy, just something for the family. Stories about saints, things for children, um, things for moms. Uh, you know, recipes. And it's honestly just a total feel good magazine for traditional catholic families um and it's not sspx specific uh, it's just for catholics and we're going to release the first issue in march first is going to be just in canada and then we're hope, hoping to spread it to the english-speaking world so as that grows i'll keep in touch and and maybe we can maybe people in the states they want to get copies we can figure that out yeah i'd love to have you back on also on that if not before but whenever that launches that sounds excellent sure okay this has been the sqb podcast my guest has been author and speaker kennedy hall Thank you all for listening. God bless you. Pray your rosary, and we'll speak to you soon.